Welcome back to Underexposed Podcast. Today I am here with Sebastian Kim. Sebastian, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Looking forward. Your work is incredible. Take me from the beginning, though, before you were doing all this epic stuff. First camera, what's the origin story? How did you, <laughs> how'd you get here, man? When I was 16 years old, I would go visit my mom in New York. Mom is a pattern maker. She studied fashion and she had an Nikon F3 with the motor drive and, you know, these like lenses. And I'm like, wow, what's this? And she goes, oh, you know, I'm thinking of giving this to your brother. Uh, it's like, oh, so, you know, my brother got this really beautiful camera that I was like, oh my God, I want this. And my brother got it and he's like, I don't want to spend money on film and gave it to me. Yes. <laughs> and so being 16 years old and getting this beefy camera. And at the time I was into skateboarding, getting into skateboard photography started the ball rolling where I then took a photography elective in my high school. I, actually, I was a freshman in my high school, so maybe I was 14 at the time. And another turning point was my photo teacher in high school. I went to high school in Laguna Hills in Orange County, took photo one, took photo two in my sophomore year and loved it so much that she gave me my own sort of like independent study, photo three and photo four. So I, I, I kind of took photo as like independent studies throughout my high school years that I so got so obsessed with it that she said to me, you know, maybe you um, need to pursue photography, go to photo school. And, you know, I, this was probably back in like the early 90s or even actually late 80s. And I didn't even know there were photo schools. So she pointed out to the two best photo school at the time, which was Brooks Institute and Rochester Institute of Photography. So between the two, one was New York, one was California, I decided to go to Brooks. And that was just the constant photography obsession, you know, went to school to study it. I, I did go to school to Santa Cruz because my dad didn't want me to pursue photography, he didn't think that it was a career to take. And uh, so went to uh, regular college for a year, then transferred to Brooks. And so it's a long winded road, but I think it was always this constant motivation and interest, you know, starting with skateboard photography, then moved into studying it, doing portraits. I would say then there was another inflection point where it was from my mother to my high school photo teacher to then my college professor at Brooks, his name is Paul Meyer. Paul pushed me to take on a position at the Avedon studio. Oh, at wow. the time, there was a fourth assistant position open. And I had about a year left in college. And I thought, I'm not going to leave school to go and assist because I've only just started. It was a three-year program and I'd gone two years. And I'm like, ah, I don't think I can do it. That passed and went. And then six months later, he called me back to his office and said, look, Sebastian, there's uh, the positions open and I think you should consider this. So I was recommended for the position. And that was another turning point where I, I did immediately say yes, because I was a little bit too concerned that I would be cut for that position, mainly because, you know, I was shy. I was like very young and, I, you know, there were still six more le uh, months left to school. 
and um it's freaking the Richard greatest, Avedon, like <laughs> yeah and, and I would say like I think there are these people in your life that have guided you in your journey and if it wasn't for these people in my life like so far those three major people that really pushed me because I didn't really know any better I wouldn't be where I was I said no at the time because I felt like it was more important to finish school and he called me back into the office and I remember he had two other uh, faculty teachers there and said look Sebastian we know you want to finish school but I think it's really important that you take this job because it's a once in a lifetime opportunity if you take this position consider it and you know what we can do is consider your time there as an internship you just have to pay for tuition because administration the school still wants your money but I was on financial aid so I was like if I didn't continue I wouldn't have gone to finance so it was a win-win situation so I was like yes of course so I went up did a trial and ended up getting the job and in three months had to move. And luckily my mom's in New York and I called her and I said, mom, I'm coming to New York. I'm going to sleep on your couch. And she like, oh, amazing. You know, and I was like, I'm only going to be there for maybe six months, a year, um, you know, just to get my foot rolling. But I, I'm, you know, got this job opportunity and, you know, she was very supportive. She yeah, come over and she, she was living in a one bedroom and was sleeping on her couch. And yeah, that's how I got myself in the door. This was 1996. I was uh, hired as the fourth assistant, you know, the guy doing the grunt work, calling in for lunches and sweeping, mopping, painting the psych, you know, but that's how I think back in the days, that's how you started. I think that's how the, your journey to becoming a photographer was a uh, much more of this traditional apprenticeship. And thank God my teacher was like, Sebastian, this is, a better education than you sticking around in college and he said to me your degree here that you think is meaningful is really meaningless you know and I think (laughs) coming from him to hear that and him really you know because he could have easily said okay you're not interested go on to the next student you know of his to push but he really said look you really need to do this you really want your degree okay we will consider an internship and I have to really credit him for uh, I was skeptical and, uh, and look, you know, and, and, and a big part of it was, you know, I had a lot of insecurities. I, I felt like, oh, I don't know how I could do this in a big studio. I was, you know, how am I going to, and I think the journey to photography is actually a journey of the self because you really have to come out of yourself and, and understand what your insecurities are and you have to challenge yourself. And so my first fear was like, being an assistant to big for I just don't want to be treated like a tripod you know I, I didn't think like my skin was tough enough but it's an exercise of mental strength and and to overcome those fears and I have to say that uh, I think that's what I loved about it because it was a it's um through the course of of, of photography it wasn't necessarily about you know learning how to take a picture or, or whatnot it was actually the journey of discovering yourself and challenging yourself to even from the initial days of how am I going to cut it as a photo assistant to asking people to model for you and so all these are just kind of like personal challenges that you you give to yourself that you overcome so yeah ended up in New York in 96 and that was the transition from studying photography to working and and how I worked was like 
doing those demenial jobs, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I would say that that was a journey, a journey in itself. So yeah, that's, yeah. that was the, yeah. Dude, that's, bad, that's a badass story, man. I love that. That's so cool. I'm having some conversations recently on this show, trying to get a sense of celebrity portraiture, editorial work and stuff like that. I wonder about, you know, what is it going to look like by the time I get to where I'm going? What will this industry look like? I see the change, you know, and I think that the visual landscape has changed. And I believe that it's actually changed for the better because you don't want it to stagnate. And what it is, is you have a the changing of the creative guard. And I think that when you change like the creative people in the magazines that kind of dictate sort of the visual language, they're the ones that, you know, select the photographers and the talent. When those people change the underlying visuals or the talents that they hire also change. What's great is we're seeing this kind of movement that's very different from the visual landscape of the last, you know, even five years ago. The image is less contrived, spontaneity, and, you know, there's a resurrection of, of film. And, I mean, it, it visual style that I, I feel like is indicative of the movement. And I think that's really important. And, and I believe that it comes from you have the magazine facing a drastic change where the budgets have been cut. People aren't picking up magazines. That forces them to cut the budgets, hire younger creative people. And they, in essence, reach out to younger talents. It's the door has been open. So I think for the longest time, the door is never really open for a lot of the younger talents, right? But it's there really because the magazines have faced a budget crisis, have been forced to change. New people come in and they're going to change the people under, they're going to work with the younger creative people. And that's going to change things. You know, the younger kids coming in, they're able to create content on their iPhone really cheap. You know, they're not going to complain about the budget. They're not going to need all these like yeah, big fees or whatnot. And so they can create content quicker, easier. And that's actually much more relatable to the people consuming it. And I think yeah. that's, is, is actually a great change. And I think that the people creating the change are really the the newer entrants, they're going to give you something different. I, I think it's interesting because, you know, I came from a more traditional background and that visual language is sort of a continuation of that until all of a sudden it just stops and it stops really drastically because you don't have the same people carrying on that visual language. You have this new people that's much more in touch with social media and the zeitgeist of the movement. And you, you hire female photographers, photographers of color. They're going to show what they're passionate about. I think magazines are the first that, you know, I mean, Hollywood was really kind of slow to change, but, you know, with all the uh, Me Too movement, that was the initial change of being much more open to having more female talents coming in. And that was the same with magazines. And magazines actually adopt much quicker because they're a smaller industry, they have lower budgets. But what I think the, the, the outcome has been giving, being much more in touch with the younger talents because they're sort of the eyes and so you know and i think what's difficult are sort of like the people the incumbents middle age 
sort of talents that need to shift. You know, and it may be difficult, but I think you have to look at it and step back and say, is this better for the world? You know, it's like school's going to look back and they say, okay, it's online, YouTube, education. It's not good for us as an institution, but it's going to be better for the people. They have right. access to education. And so I, that's why I think like all these changes is better for the people overall because society progressive being more inclusive, being more to different ways of, of, of seeing things. I think from that perspective, that's the movement that it's important to understand. Because I think if you're a little bit older, more traditionalist, and you, you see what's going on and you feel like, oh, wait, things have changed. You know, I'm not social media savvy. I don't know how to, you know, get into sort of like the ground level of the zeitgeist of seeing what's happening. Then maybe you're not re relevant enough to be able to participate. And I think that that's when you maybe, you know, have to accept of, or do you provide value in that sense? And so I, I think it's really understanding how the world is changing or what the industry you want to get into is changing and whether you can fit in, whether it's the magazine photo industry or whether it's Hollywood industry, you know, because that they've turned everything upside down. And for the better, you know, we can see contents now, videos that aren't made by the major film houses and better content because they're taking chances so uh, you know and that's the same thing and that's democratizing content creators and i think that's all for the better it's encouraging to hear like an optimistic viewpoint on it i think that there's so much negativity out there in the world right now and i think that there probably always has been I was listening to some Gary Vee thing the other day on YouTube and, you know, some of the stuff that he says, I'm going to kind of like roll my eyes, but there was one thing that he was talking about is that, you know, positivity is a lot quieter, like negativity tends to be really loud. You'll find a whole bunch of people that want to complain about how it's like not the same, but I don't know, man, I look at it and I look at how much I'm able to learn and it's sort of a, if you build it, they will come sort of situation I'm recognizing. And that's really exciting. That, that gets me fired up. The gatekeepers are losing their their control. And that's a good thing, I think. Yeah, I think it, it opens up the doors for people who can see where they can contribute value. You know, like there's the old model, but it forces you to, okay, how are you going to, to change things up? You're doing this podcast, you're reaching out and interviewing, you know, you're providing value to people who want to hear about those stories, you know, and you're, and, and that's helping you connect and giving you, that's how you can integrate. You don't know, don't necessarily need to be on set and, and be the fourth assistant anymore. You're, you're actually creating a better value and you've embraced social media and you've been breaking it. And so I think that's how you're breaking the mold, you know? And I think that that's, you got to think outside the box. When I started out and how we approached photo shoot you know it was a big production everything was a really big production and you felt like if you didn't have the big production you weren't getting the shots and you needed this a set you needed the lights you needed this big crew and now because of budget restrictions it has you have to think differently and now I actually enjoy the process a lot more because 
you know, to, to do, you know, my exciting shoot actually was just like the other week and it's sort of similar, except that like, you know, the budgets are cut in half, but I'm excited to just find a great location, not bring any lights, you know, having minimal amount of assistance and just kind of showing up. And, you know, we did, I did a shoot for, with Diane Kruger for Sunday Time Style Magazine out of London. And, and it was the funnest shoot because I'm like, oh, this is a cool shot. The producer found it actually an amazing location. It was just like a little loft space. But she came in, we figured out a little shot and we had fun. And, you know, we did all the shots and we were done by one because it wasn't complicated. And uh, all of a sudden I'm like loving the process because it wasn't like having to figure everything out and being complicated. And that comes from the restraint and from having to think outside the box and and, and be much more. And, and the funny thing is that I enjoy the process now. And yesterday I did a shoot for a friend's brand and, you know, it was just, it was a non-paying shoot. It was just to help a friend out, but we shot like some of her friends and shot at my studio and I had so much fun. And, and, you know, just did it with just daylight and just one assistant. I think that's my change that I feel like I needed to do and refine myself and recalibrate. And you have to do that. You have to kind of figure out how are you going to change, you know? And I think that if you're going to kind of like moan and groan because things weren't that it used to, then I think it's going to be very difficult, you know? And I think that you have to seize opportunity in the change. And it forces these, these changes is like part of your journey, you know? Yeah. Things were great when the budget was really big and, you know, and you were able to make a killing off of it, but now you got to provide value in different ways. So I, 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 think that it forces you to think and you don't want to stay on the same path over and over again. So, so gotta, gotta adapt. For sure. At the risk of throwing my anonymity out the window, you know, during COVID I got sober and in 12 step recovery, basically like one of the things that they talk about is that you need to like quit playing God kind of thing. Not even in like in a, in a religious sense, but don't try and control everything. It's sort of a recipe for disaster. And there's this really great part in the big book about how if only the actors would be just so like, if only this show would go like exactly as you wanted it. And then like the person will change themselves. They may become like more virtuous. They may, you know, change their ways, but they also maybe can't become like irritable and angry, but they want like their way. They want to control everything. And I kind of like pick and choose a little bit from that stuff. I'm not particularly like religious or whatever, but I can get down with that. That makes a whole lot of sense to me because most of my life was trying to control everything. But over the last two years, I've kind of learned, you know, like, mind your business. You know what I mean? Like, you don't need to go on Twitter every day and figure out, like, what's happening in the world and control everyone's opinion. And, like, what does my mom think of me? And what does my dad think of me? Are they judging me? Do they care? Are they happy for me? Like, whereas now it's sort of like that, that attitude, and I've tried to take it into my life of being of service and providing maximum value. And, and not just, you know, when making amends and stuff, but outwardly in, in the world and sort of staying in my lane. And I found that to be really, really helpful. But there have been times in my life where I've wanted control and I've wanted to change everything. But I've realized that if I'm just humble and I try and keep perspective on things, it's like, yes, I could feel sorry for myself that things aren't working out more. Yes, there are thousands of more photographers that are so much more talented than me. But it's like, in this moment, if I really, really look for it, I can find that gratitude and I can just live in joy in that way and enjoy the process because 
I don't know. It's just, I feel like as human beings, we're just hardwired to be like, yeah, but what's wrong with this? It's like, yeah, but like, what's right with it? Like we're, we're photographers. We don't work in a fucking coal mine. This is fun. Like this, you know, like you said, like you're hanging out with your friends, you're, you're doing this. It's a really exciting thing. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that I'm trying to learn to relinquish some of that control of having all the answers and just be divorced from that, like self pity. Be like, no, you're just here in the moment. But I have a hard time with that though. Even in this conversation, I want so badly to be like, yo, you're just here with this guy. You're chopping it up. Like, this is so cool. Like if I was at a Super Bowl party and you were there and you showed me your work, like I would love it. But sometimes it's so hard to just be present in that moment. That's something that I'm really, you know, working on. You know yeah. I mean? I, yeah. I think that's something that's much more in mainstream consciousness now of, of well, understanding that. Cells, you know what I mean? like, yeah. And being mindfulness, being appreciative, and especially coming from COVID, I think has changed the mind of, of the people who can understand where they are and to take a breather and appreciate where they are. And I think that that's really, really important because prior to that, you're just working and you're very competitive, you're very driven. I, you know, I think that now having kind of like a reduced schedule, having a lot more time, having more time with my children, I'm much more appreciative of what I'm doing. And I think life and the experiences is humbling and it should be humbling because you need to learn, understand humility, because that's what's going to keep you going because otherwise feeling insecurity and feeling the pressure, it's self-destructive, but there's much more awareness of that. Even that it's available on, on, on YouTube and podcasts and hearing people Hi, talk space. about these things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, those are the things that's like that. really, you know, it, it's like self-education about being more aware. And, and I think that to me, having that time, I'm like, oh, wow, this is, I didn't know, I didn't understand, you know, about human psychology and philosophy. And all of that is so applicable to, to, to yourself and how you see things. And, and when you take the time, when COVID kind of gives you the time, I think that you, you got to embrace it and you take that time and learn new things. And I think that that is a way to, continue your journey were there times where you really weren't sure or like dealt with like depression or something like that i think a lot of people that listen to this show are in that place like they're listening to this they're kind of in a spot where maybe they're not getting the work that they want or, or they're they're just scared they're like yeah yeah, that's cool and i want to be positive and shit like that but it's hard when you can't pay rent or when you're on your mom's couch sort of thing you know what i mean yeah yeah and, and i think that that like for me what i was able to overcome that because I think it was a struggle and I think a lot of as photo assistants in New York is is their biggest challenge is making that break from assisting to going out on your own you know and I think these days maybe it's about okay how do I get the job you don't necessarily need to assist but anymore but for me it was like I assisted for 11 years you know and I think that people have this idea they're gonna come work for some great photographers and then start on their own, learn all these things. And that wasn't the case for me. You know, I worked for Richard Allen for four, uh, four years. And then after that, I went on to work for uh, Stephen Mizell for seven years. And that was a, you know, so I was two full-time jobs and, and making that break, you know, there was a time in my earlier, when I was around 26, I was like, 
oh, I need to make that break, but I just took on this full-time job. How am I going to do it? Oh, you know, am I doing what I want? And it's all these things where I think when you don't really know yourself in the early, you know, your 20s, and it's like Gary Vee says, you know, you're still young, you got to figure out, don't need to figure it out now, you know, give it some time. And that's absolutely true. Yeah, I didn't take my, I didn't pick up my first, I didn't pick up a camera for myself till I was 33. Wow. And, but during prior all the time, you know, there was, I remember there was at 26, I made a conscious decision, you know, I'm just not going to pursue photography. I'm going to embrace my job. I love assisting. And I think assisting for me, I think it's part of it is the mindset. If you have this mindset that I should be doing this, but I, so I'm not enjoying doing this, you know, it's very self-destructive. And once you're self-destructive and you're kind of discouraged, you're not going to pursue it. I, I think what it is I'm referring to is this is, I was a photo assistant and it's, it's whether you're a photo assistant, where you're a photographer, I, I, the, the framework is the same because how I saw it as a photo assistant is like, I'm not going to give myself the pressure of, oh, I need to start shooting now. I felt like I just need to embrace what I'm doing now. And in time, it will come. In time when it's right, it will come. And, I, and that wasn't until about seven years later that I said, wow, things came organically. I was excited to shoot. Oh, a friend of mine was like, hey, Sebastian, you want to do this test? And, you know, it's for this magazine. I'm like, great. You know, and I, I was in that sort of like headspace that I was really excited about it. But prior to that, I was able to overcome it by embracing the now, which was, there's nothing wrong with assisting. I'm just going to give it all my all, you know, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to work with two of the great photographers and very privileged to uh, work in that environment. But part of it was sacrificing my desire of becoming a photographer, but I was very committed. And I think that that, I think there's this idea that some people want to rush in, do something, extract whatever and move on, you know? And I think that it's like Gary Vee said, you got to provide value, you yeah. know? And my value was my dedication and time. And in time, it gave me the courage and it gave me the courage to, to make the next step. And it, it's funny because during that time I was reading the tipping point by Malcolm Gladwell, trying to figure it out. You know, I'd, I'd go on a journey. How am I going to do it? How? And it, it's sort of like having to build up the framework and how to take that next step. I didn't know, you know, and I was reading the tipping point and it all made sense. You know, it's like you give, it's the 10,000 hour rule. But I think during that time, the tipping point was you commit enough time that things sort of like pan out. Like I remember my big break were the people that I was working with, the creative directors, the art directors heard I was leaving and they said, hey, Sebastian, come on by, you know, take a meeting with me. And then they would give me the opportunity. And all that stemmed from all the years that I put in showing up, doing the work. And the payoff was, I didn't even know. I didn't even know the payoff was like building the relationships. Like I had no clue sort of like how the world worked until reading Malcolm Cladwell, which in a, in a day, I mean, you can kind of understand, well, obviously, you know, you're going you're gonna to be in this industry for a while. People are going to know you. They're going to give you the opportunity. And I think that's just being consistent, just like Gary Lee says, show up, do it, provide value, and things will transition. People are too much in a rush to figure out how to do it really fast. And I think right. patience 
patience is, is, is so key, you know? And what's the rush? Enjoy what you're doing. I think that's something that I felt was my biggest takeaway. Gary just has a better way of expressing it, you know, the way that he says it. But right. Um, I totally agree because that's how I was able to take the next step. And it came organically. It came organically because I loved what I did, you know, just like, you know, he loves selling wine or whatnot. <laughs> we would, we just doing, but right. like, while, while he was working at his dad's shop on the weekends and his friends were out partying, I could totally relate to that. You know, I was at my mom's sleeping on her couch. I didn't have any friends in New York. I was like 11 working. years, dude. That's a, that's a, a cool decade. And then some bro. That, like, that's yeah. Well, it was four years at, you know, but, I mean, all together, though, like you said, right. Yeah. All together. Yeah. I, I eventually moved into the city and I actually had the, I, I, I feel very privileged because I had the greatest assistant job. You know, I was uh, first assistant for Steven. We traveled, lived half the time in LA, worked with all my friends that like I hired and it was a great job. It was it was it was during the glory years, you know, and I, I joke about it and, you know, always flew business class. We always had a car. We had our own hotel room. I got treated better as a photo assistant than I was the photographer. <laughs> and and that but that was the time where I remember it was in 2007 where I was like, OK, I got to make that break. But that came where all of a sudden things were really comfortable. I loved it. But something else came and it, it came organically. And a friend of mine was like, oh, let's shoot this. And things came and I said, okay, I got, I got to take that next step. And you know, you'll know it. And I think that if you're in a rush, you don't know, it, it, you give yourself a lot of pressure. The best thing that I did to me was like, you know what? I'm going to embrace it. Love the system. And that gave time for me to, I went and and, and I snowboarded, I picked up skateboarding being in my 30s and like, you know, went out, I became social. I kind of came out of my shell because I was a very sort of, I mean, it's very shy, introverted. And, you know, I just worked all the time and I actually didn't come out till I was 30. So I kind of bloom late socially, but that's because, you know, I, I kind of like didn't give myself the pressure of having to test all the time, build my book. And all. I didn't do any of that. I just assisted and then had friends and lived life. And then in my early thirties, that's when I made the conscious decision. Okay. Take the next step. And then when I stopped assisting, that freed up a lot of time for me to work on myself. I went to London, did a lot of editorials and, and took the money that I saved up and just spent it on editorials. And so that was much more of my journey. But my biggest takeaway is don't be in a rush. I used to be able to kind of like contribute and then maybe at these lectures to kind of tell people what they needed to do coming out of college. But I do feel that model, some of it has changed, but the principle is the same. And that principle is really having that mind space because mind space is so important. If you're disgruntled being a photo assistant, you're not going to love it. If you're disgruntled being hustling, trying to be a photographer and not making it, you're not going to give 11 years trying to make it as a, you know, assistant or a photographer. You're going to be like, oh, but if you're in that space and you're just doing it, doing it, doing it, and you're constantly doing it and, you know, whether and not be disgruntled, you're going to keep at it. You know, yeah. that's, that's your dream. That's your dream, you know? And I think eventually you'll get 
to where you want to be. And I think, I feel like I have a real world case of telling people everything that I've dreamt of, that I've wanted, I've been able to achieve. And I don't have any special skills. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth or anything, but I've always set these goals, whether it was to go to photo school, you know, my, with, even without my father supporting me, finding financial aid and, and these challenges. And I think it's working at these little challenges that will then build up the skills to work at a big challenge to then build up the skills to be. And so all the goals that I've set up for myself, I've achieved, you know, even like goals, whether, yeah, I mean, personal goals or whatnot, as you be, you just have to be consistent. And the minute you don't have the mind space for and headspace and be like, oh, this is, I'm not, oh, you know, I'm not good enough or don't have that, you're, you're going to fail. And that's all because of self-sabotage. Yeah. Oh, I've done that so many times. I've so many times where I said, like completely just like blew everything up. I think what you're talking about is giving without expectations. And it was instilled in me from people like Gary Vee, from my father, from different areas of my life. I also read this book from Cy Wakeman, who I've uh, had on my previous podcast called No Ego. I strongly recommend that one, not to be like Oprah, you know, giving out book recommendations, but No Ego by Cy Wakeman really talks about what we're talking about right now that giving without expectations. And I can honestly say, I, I don't think that I've done anything that extraordinary. Like I'm on the outside of this photography journey. I was like a subpar designer. I'm a pretty good DJ. I've done a, a whole bunch of different stuff. But one thing I know for a fact is that my networking skills are unmatched. Like <laughs> that's the one thing that I have the right to be confident about. I, I can get in touch with literally freaking anybody. I know I can do that. But a lot of this journey has been predicated on giving without expectations. If I had a dollar for every person that I interviewed and I looked up to them and I idolized them and I thought we were best friends and like nothing ever came from it and our, or they didn't share it or they didn't get back and stuff like that. If I was to live my life predicated on what I got in return, absolutely nothing that you see today, whether it be with this podcast or my previous podcast, none of that would have come to fruition. If I allowed myself to live in self-pity about like, oh, well, I gave this and I didn't get this, so screw that. Like, it's a recipe for disaster. I just give and give and give and give and give, and eventually it works itself out. And And sometimes it will manifest itself in ways you didn't even think. Like I did a podcast a year and a half ago with Art Stryber before I even had this new show. And I was like, oh, like, that was good. Like, I'm not exactly sure like what he thought of me. Did he like me? Did I just annoy the shit out of him? What happened there? And he like reshared everything. But I just did an interview with Richard Maltz from Variety. I went about my life. I had no idea. I just assumed that like Art had forgot about me or whatever. And then... I was like, yeah, like, I'm surprised you said yes. I was, I was like, I know you don't do podcasts. He's like, yeah, like Art Shriver recommended you. I was like, what? Like, this is so crazy. But if you are looking at life in a way of like that transactional, it will be super, super limiting. And I try and get people to be like, yo, just put it out there. It's not personal. People are inundated. People have lives. They have kids. Their life is just as much of a shit show as your life is. Like, just chill yeah. out and just give without expectations. And it's a recipe for success, you know? 
I mean, that's that's absolutely so true. I think Gary is the one that kind of like maybe articulated very well and put it in that playbook. I think for me, it played out in the sense where I was because I think I didn't have that awareness. I think it was more like I love what I did and I showed up every day. I made these relationships. And for me, when I read the tipping point and, you know, and Malcolm kind of categorized all these people and, and where they fall in and the relationship you build all of a sudden will, like I was there, I, I never really like, I, I think being an assistant, you know, you just give and then eventually the people that you interact with, they come back later on in life. And I think my biggest takeaway was I was um, always, I, I, I made the effort to, get to know the people in the equipment room, the assistants, the creator, everybody, you know, say hi to kind of be very courteous. And and I remember some of the things that would pop up, just like you said, like maybe it was a PA that was on set that didn't be worked at a, like an agency. They were a, a an art buyer or an art director. And then they kind of we reconnect because of that experience, because of the way you connected. And I think those are so important. Those are the things that actually test you because I think that you... I didn't have this consciousness of just given for this particular playbook, but it's absolutely true. And now, you, now there is a playbook of, of, of sort of like how people connect. I think that's important because I think I was lucky to kind of go through a journey and I've realized the big part is like you said, ego, ego has a big play and, and because your ego will, will, if you don't know what an ego does, I think I'm very fascinated by it because a big part of like how I see things and how people are is really a lot of it is driven by ego. And, and if you don't understand that, it can be very self-destructive and that's so important. And now you have educational material that talks about that awareness of the ego and understand its impact on how you connect with people. And so you either are natural at it or you have that knowledge and if you're not natural you have to understand the consequences and work on that on yourself that's really important and i think like that kind of education is better the whole reason that none of this a lot of people are kind of clueless is all of this people relationship and how things work isn't taught in college you know they just teach you the general education courses and how to because that's how they're not incentivized to to teach you all of that you know but now you realize that's what's really important, you know, provide value. And like you said, I, I think that I remember when the, you know, I'd, I always get calls from photo assistants that are wanting to work for like Steven, for example, and I'd always get photos and emails from people saying, hey, I'm a photographer and I'd love to work for Steven to learn what I can and it helped me a lot. And I'm like, wow, this is always the wrong approach. Like, right. you know, it's not here to help you become a photographer. What can you do to help? <laughs> you know, what are, what you, what can, and I always felt like, I was, why don't people approach this? Like, Hey, you know, of course everyone's like, Hey, I'd love to work with you guys, but what can you contribute? You know? And I think that that's that when you have that Gary V framework provide and they will, that, that's really important. And I think that's, he's giving you, given sort of like that piece of the puzzle that people don't quite understand because they're so filled with, I need to do this for myself in order to get this somewhere. And he's like, no, 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 this is so wrong. How can you provide value to people? And you'll get there. 
you gotta have patience, you know? And, yeah. and so it's so true. That's perfect. Dude, this has been straight fire. This whole thing has been so awesome. I really have enjoyed this. Uh, you, so, so you're in New York, right? Is that right? Jersey? Where are you? Yeah. 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 Find, find I mean, me some New York people, man. I'm, cause I'm, I'm, yeah. in, I'm in Jersey, so I'm, I'm happy to, you know, I'm talking to all these LA people and it seems like some distant dream. So you got to put me in touch with all the New York photographers and then I'll, uh, I'll give and give and give without expectation. And one day they'll feel bad <laughs> for me and make me an assistant. So. Uh, you know, I think, you know, photographers, you know, I, some photographers like to share. Some people don't, I would say, you know, I think being photographers, or directors, you know, you're kind of focused and you don't really have the time to kind of um, maybe share some of your experiences. I've always felt like it was in my earlier days, I remember my my teacher who, I, you know, Paul, I owe a lot to would be like, Sebastian, come and do a lecture. And I was like, oh, no, I don't know what to say. I, I don't know what, what to do, how to. But I remember being a student and benefited from people who would come back and maybe share some of the experiences, but I was always too intimidated. Um, and I, and I remember the, the, I never did take up on his offer and I feel kind of bad about it, but I remember that I'm not doing, I'm doing, and this is the part where for me, I realized I am not doing a service to the, where I came from. And I remember then other friends who taught at SVA would be, hey, Sebastian, can you do a lecture? And that was a push to realizing I need to give back because, you know, I think of some of the photographers or friends that like would teach at schools and I think they're giving back to share that knowledge. And I know I, I would never be a teacher. I, I, I wouldn't have. Dude, you'd be so know-how. good at it. You'd be so good at it. <laughs> but really I think, it, well, I, I think how I could give <laughs> thanks thanks but I think how I could give back is sort of like this journey you know so I do appreciate that because when you ask me I I do take much more of a proactive uh, uh, decision to okay I'm going to take the time and, and and having done these lectures at and it's it's interesting I did these lectures at SVA or Parson and one I did at Syracuse and you meet people and I feel like you know I remember I met this girl at at um at Syracuse and and she was fascinated and she's like I really want to um work for you and you know her name was teaching she came and was an intern and that's how I meet some of the interns and um and you connect with people you know you, you're able to share and I think somehow you line um certain values line up, you know, and, and people maybe they come and they're like, wow, I, I really like what you shared and give some confidence. I think that's really important because you want to give back. And I think for me, it's been a journey and I don't. And, and so I think whether, yeah, these podcasts is you are able to share some, and if you are able to, and some people are able to take something out of it and have their lives affected by it that's really important, you know, just like the books that you've read, the books that I've read. And, you know, and I think well, those I are very audible before anyone thinks that I'm some sort of bookworm. I have ADD and I, I like can't, I could like barely read, but I do listen to them on audible still counts. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, and I think that like, it's so funny you say that because like, you know, some of these books, I still read that changes the perspective the recent one is, is, is there's one called Mimic Desires by uh, Luke Burgess. Burgess. I think that's the name. And, I, and that totally changed my mind on the mind frame of desires. 
And it's sort of like, you know, once you understand what ego does and understand about, you know, the value economy, check out this book because Luke is just as powerful as, as, as Malcolm or, or Gary Vee explaining out. Because once you're aware of the conscious of your desires, where maybe it's your desire of becoming a photographer, desire of, you know, attaining a certain goals or achieving a certain net worth, you have to understand where those desires come from. I think these kind of like understanding sort of like these, these psychological attributes is, is so important. And it's totally changed my perception of my own desires. Right. I think that those are the things where all that is all available to now change the mind frame you have to educate either you educate yourself on the journey where you figure things out for yourself because there weren't many books i didn't read as much back then but also now there's and you can consume content audible and that's how i consume it i'm a slow reader but oh my god audible boom and also youtube I put that shit on 3x bro i go as yeah. fast as i can <laughs> and and you're able to consume you've taken this long and time and you compress it and that's technology right and then i think that you're able now to consume such much more knowledge in the compressed amount of time which is really going to elevate you and and so so that that's the thing where i feel like those are the things that you need to either learn from experiences or learn from somebody else that's kind of gone through that can give you perspective because everything is about mindset mind frame and how you see things that's the most important and how you are able to going to continue on that journey yeah absolutely yeah and that's what i wanted you know this this podcast to be you know there i know for a fact that there are so many you know i mentioned lindsay adler and chris knight and and these incredible educators out there who are able to, in a way to articulate so much about the different technical things about light modifiers and which way to do it and quality of light and rim light and flags and all that. So I, I knew that this was never going to be like the technical podcast, but I wanted to talk about sort of like the, the mind side of things. Headspace, if you want to sponsor me, man, I'm, I'm here for it. I, I had Leslie Witt, who is the uh, chief creative officer at Headspace on the show. I love Headspace. And uh, by the way, my crowning achievement in life is that Eve from Headspace follows me on LinkedIn. That literally made my day. So do I got to wrap this up because I have to go talk at uh, my old school. I, I would talk to you for another 10 hours. You are definitely coming back on the show. You signed on the, on the dotted line. You didn't realize it. <laughs> Where can people find you online? When can we hang out? This is shameless self-promotion time. We got to get Sure. To yeah. Well, Rob, we'll definitely have to continue. I think, um, IRL. I think that, yeah, uh, <laughs> well, they, I'm, I'm only, I mean, I'm not really big on the social media, but Instagram yeah. is probably the only thing that I will update every now and then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll continue on other topics, but I think it's been great to talk about, I think some of the issues that education and mindset, and I think those are so fundamentally important on your journey, you know? Exactly. And yeah, we didn't talk much about photography, but we can talk that about some other <laughs> I'm not time. even sure we're talking about photography at all, but it's totally okay. I'm, I'm, that's gonna be part two, stick around for part two. It's uh, sebastiankim.com. And then the Instagram handle is at Seb Kim Studios. Yes. Seb Kim yeah. Studios. Dude, this has been so much fun. Sounds good. <laughs> All right, brother. It's been a lot of fun, man. Thank you, Rob. Talk to you soon. <laughs>